Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We're in John chapter 21 today, the last chapter of the book of John. Let's just open right out of the gate with verse 1. John chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee... The sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, uh, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed They saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, so obvious context. Jesus has died. Jesus died and had been abandoned by his disciples in his final moments. Uh, Peter, who had said to Jesus just before they went to Jerusalem, We're going, you know, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. I will go with you. I will die with you. That Peter, that Peter who, when Judas came with the Roman soldiers to capture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter pulls out his sword, cuts off a guy's ear. That Peter then later denied Jesus three times, called down curses upon himself. I do not know this man. Curse me if I do. Uh, did, did not stay by Jesus' side during the crucifixion. Uh, afterwards, he had to feel guilt. He had to feel a lot of guilt. We know that he did. So I kind of get the enthusiasm when John says, Hey, it's Jesus and Peter, who's never in the New Testament once famous for being calm, down-to-earth, patient. Peter 
jumps into the water and swims to shore because he just doesn't want to wait on the boat. Um, Peter, Peter did everything with over-enthusiasm. That's why he's Peter and why he's the first of the, of the disciples. So that's just our backdrop. Really what I want to get into, that's the context for where we keep picking, reading, picking up again in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Follow me. Well, for Peter, everything fell apart in a big way. Things were going so well following Jesus as a disciple. He was popular. Jesus was popular. Peter was in the shadows. Things were going pretty good. And then, bam, Jesus has died, killed, murdered. And the apostles are on the run, and the plan fell apart completely. And Peter didn't hold up very well. He had betrayed Jesus. He had he'd slept in the garden when he should have been awake, praying for Jesus. He lost his temper when he cut the one man's ear off. He denied Jesus three times. Could things get any worse? So Peter does the only thing that he could think of to do, which is a very guy thing. Let's go fishing. Yeah, I, 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 I get it. Ladies, you may not. I, the guys all get it. What else, are you, what else are you going to do? But then the strangest of things happens. Love comes back into Peter's life. Jesus is alive again. But as we said last week, while the love of God for man is free, God loves everybody, ev- everybody. That doesn't mean everybody's saved. Just because God loves everyone doesn't mean there aren't conditions to salvation. We have to follow him. Jesus and Peter have words. They have to. Because the question still remains now unanswered. Having Peter denied Jesus three times, Peter, are you in this? Are you going to follow me again? And these questions, these answers, will change Peter's life. But what I want to say today is that what God calls Peter to do, he calls all of us. And that's what we want to talk about. In this passage, one of the things that we see is the responsibility of love. How much do you love Jesus? Do you love him more than yourself? Peter gets upset that his love is questioned. Jesus asks three times. He gets quite indignant. Now, some of that, I've heard different things. Certainly some people say uh, that Peter, having denied Jesus three times, deserves to be asked three times. I think that there's truth to that probably. I will also, and it has been pointed out, and this isn't the point of the sermon, they use different words for love. That word truly, if if you're using the NIV, when Jesus says truly love and Peter says love, those are, Greek has different words for love. 
Jesus asks about arete, Peter asks, answers about phileo. They, they do this kind of weird word game of, of, you know, it brings up that question, is Peter actually answering the question the first couple of times? And so then Jesus starts to use Peter's language. It's actually not, we'll get into that on a different Sunday, but it's not what I want to go into today. Um, I think there's an indignation that we see here where Peter says, how dare you question my love? But to bounce off what Mark said this morning over communion, the sad fact is that so many Christians have developed a selfish version of faith. They think it's all about them, that, that it's God looking at them and then therefore the center of the universe. It's about their salvation. Jesus loves me. Na, 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 na. And, and they have no intention of transformation, of obedience, of evangelism. Their faith is a lazy faith. It's the ABCs. Admit, believe, confess, and D, done. And, and that's the minimum that they feel they have to do, and that's the minimum is sufficient. There's no, there's no talk about changing, about transformation. Love, Jesus being the personification of love, brought Peter a task. It gave him a responsibility. And what I'm saying is that Peter is like us. What he is called to do, we are called to do. And so we ask the question, do you love Jesus? If so, feed his sheep. Care for his church. So Pam and I, Pam and I met back in, this, in, the, in the twin cities of Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. Nobody knows where Champaign ends and Urbana begins. They're twin cities. Um, we had, a, we had a friend, uh, a police officer named Kat, and Kat would, I would enjoy Kat's stories about her childhood pet, which was a rabbit named Bunny Harkonnen. Um, and Bunny Harkonnen was, was a beast. It was, it was so obese it could no longer move. And they just put it on a skateboard. And they would wheel it to its food dish. And I believe this. I've had, a rab- I've had rabbits, and they will eat until the food is gone. If it, the, 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 chi- the little things you buy in the store. They, they're not made to be pets. God made them to live in the wild and to run free and get that much-needed exercise that my rabbits... When Pam and I met, we, had, we both had a pet rabbit. That was one of the things that we had in common that we decided, well, maybe we'll get along well. Um, my, my, rabbit, uh, I had, my pet rabbit ran free through the house. Pam's was more, more of, a, of a caged rabbit. Um, and, and they need exercise, and they need roughage, and they need to eat grass, and they don't need to eat those pellets that God didn't make and are unnatural, and it will make them obese. And my rabbit struggled with obesity. I believe that Bunny Harkonnen was on a skateboard. Callie has a couple of guinea pigs. And if you ever want to see what a fuzzball with eyes would look like, um, I, the, the, you know, I didn't know guinea pigs could have chins, but this one, it's gotten so big, it's not a chin anymore. It's just part of the... It's just a circle. Um, because it's... When it came, it came that Misty came that way to us, it's just overfed, and it's just round. Um, we have to separate them because it won't quit eating. And we, we separate them. In, we have one of those two-layer two hutches. And we put the other one downstairs, and we keep them apart because Misty will finish her food dish and then go down and get... Uh, caramel's uh, food because there's no self-control. She will just she will eat all her food, she will eat that, and then she will just screech and whine for more when she's so overweight and does not need any more food um, because 
And, 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 what, and what those two guinea pigs really need is exercise. Unfortunately, we also have a dog, and that's not going to happen very, very much, not if the pigs want to live through the night. Um, Christians can be like... <laughs> we have a lot of lazy Christians. Roll them out for the potlucks uh, and the sermons, but no responsibility beyond that. No spiritual discipline, no spiritual exercise. Just roll me up to the food dish, call it quits at that. You know, re- Penguins are gross. You know, I mean, they, they do the whole thing where the, the dad goes and, and goes fishing miles and miles away. You've seen the movies. And eats the fish and keeps it in his stomach and then regurgitates it back into the baby's mouth. Um, man, there, there are lazy Christians. Preacher, I don't want to read the Bible. Tell me what it says, and I'm good for a week. I'll come back next week when I'm hungry. How much do we love Jesus. Do we love him more than boats and jobs and hobbies? And Do you think Peter maybe feels that he's now called to a higher standard than what maybe he wanted, was comfortable with? This is about how he will die. For, for, those, for those that don't, don't know, it's, it's non-biblical. I mean, we read that he's going to die, right? Eleven of the disciples we know were martyrs for the cause. John, who wrote this, was the only one who supposedly didn't die a martyr's death, but I will argue that dying in a salt mine on a prison island in the middle of nowhere counts as a, almost as a martyr's death to me. Um, Peter, uh, tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down uh, by the Romans and that this references that. You know, Peter could ask, why do I have to die that way? Why, why can't I decide the trajectory of my ministry? I don't want to serve the homeless people. They smell bad and they're creepy. I, I want to I serve in magnificent attire with fame and with money. That's, 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 how, God, that's how God wants me to serve. Yeah, it's funny that we respect people that our heroes are the people that, that serve in the military and die for their country. We respect that. I, I, I don't know there's a few people out there that don't, and, and I, I drastically disagree with that because I have deep respect for people that will fight for our country, that will serve our country. I have the freedom. I have the freedom to stand here and preach to you. You have the freedom to come to church and listen because those people gave their lives for, for America. The U.S. is not a... I love it more than any other country on earth, let me be clear, but it ain't perfect. It's got its problems. If you don't believe that... I'd like to know how you're living without any kind of media whatsoever, without Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and TV uh, and computers, because we can see the problems of this country. This is not a perfect country. We have, I think, more politicians are, are problematic than not. That's my opinion. And yet people will fight and die for this country, this imperfect country. Christ is supreme and perfect and loves me and never betrays me. And it's amazing how few people are willing to die for him. What I like about Peter is that he is a real all-or-nothing kind of guy. You know, Jesus, I'm going to wash your feet. You don't wash my feet. No, I need to wash your feet. Okay, wash all of me. It's very Peter. Um, They see Jesus 
walking across the water during a storm, and when they figure out it's Jesus, um, Peter says, if it's you, call me to you. And Jesus says, okay, well, come on out here. And so Peter does, and we always say, oh, well, Peter didn't get very far before his lack of faith made him see. He got more steps than the other 11. He got more steps walking on water than any other human being other than Jesus ever did. He is very all or nothing. And I think that there's a reason that he rose to the leadership of the disciples. He threw himself into everything. And that includes his faith. The kind of faith that Jesus calls us to is, is, is to throw ourselves into it. To be separate from the world. To be radical. To saturate us. To transform us. So we get the context. John wrote this years later. I don't know if he was a prisoner on the island of Patmos yet. I don't think he was. But... I think he's blatantly referring to the fact that Peter has already died. I don't think this was prophetic. I think this was probably written after Peter died. And, and I'm reminded that Peter was responsible for his own death because the Romans would have told him, shut up or die. So he had a choice. He chose to continue to preach the gospel. He chose to face the consequences of that. He knew what the cost was. Can we see in Peter, strongly see in Peter and in John, the concept of a living sacrifice, of giving your life to God. How much do we love Jesus? More than, more than others? Then follow him. This is the responsibility of love. But we also see in here, and I, we mentioned this before, but we see a restoration of love. Peter, why did he go back to fishing? What, did the apostles give up? I mean, Jesus had said, you know, he, he's come to establish his kingdom. And I think that the apostles thought that it would be an earthly kingdom. I think that they thought Jesus is going to kick out the Romans. Israel is going to become entirely Israel again and no, not belong to any other nation. I don't think they gave up on the earthly kingdom. I think that the beginning of the book of Acts shows us they're sitting around waiting for that fulfillment. And now Jesus has come back from the dead. And the apostles have to be in awe. And I think and I think that Peter knew that the kingdom of God was at hand. I have a suspicion that Peter thought, but not with him anymore. I, I suspect that he felt that he was effectively close to unforgivable, that God would use someone who was more reliable, that he was damaged goods. He had failed. So, and, and he had to ask the question, where does this fit in? After sleeping, falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, cutting off Malchus's ear, after denying Christ three times, is there even room for Peter to have a minor role in the kingdom of God? When Jesus first met Peter, he gave Peter instructions on how to catch fish. I, and he comes back and he does the same, which is why John and Peter are able to recognize him like that. Um, he's back. I, in high school, we had to read a book called The Once and Future King by T.H. White. It's a book about King Arthur. It's huge. Um, it's good. I like King Arthur stories as much as the next, as much as the next person and maybe more than most. I, I'm not the biggest. I, I, I don't think T.H. White's writing style is, is quite mine. What I, there's, a, there's a scene in there, though, that's it's magnificent. Um, you know the story of King Arthur, the, the legendary Celtic king of England, um, and his knights of the round table, and his queen Guinevere. And in a number of the legends, um, Sir Lancelot is um, a bit of a scoundrel, and he and Guinevere, Queen Guinevere, are having an affair, and that's in T.H. White's book. Um, and, and in the book, Lancelot feels terribly guilty because he's a noble knight. He's serving King Arthur. He loves King Arthur, but he's also 
He's also sleeping with King Arthur's wife. Um, there's a point where he's traveling and a village says, oh, we've got this, this, this sick child who's, who's dying. And, and you are a noble knight of King Arthur, um, the purest of the pure. God will work through you. You can heal her. And Lancelot knows he's not the purest of the pure. And there's no way that God's going to work through a scoundrel like him. He's a terrible person. He knows this. He's hiding it. And he feels terrible guilt. And he, and he, he's, and he tries to warn the people. It's not going to go down the way that... You, God doesn't always answer prayers the way you want. And he's mysterious. And he's trying to make excuses for why the miracle won't take place. And he goes in and he prays over the girl and she gets better. And the people cry, It's a miracle. And Lancelot, crying quietly, says it's, it's two miracles. Because the girl got better and God worked through Lancelot, who doesn't deserve to be worked through because he's a terrible person and sinful, and yet God is so loving. And I, it's my favorite scene in the book. Peter denied Jesus three times. There's no way um, that a rabbi would ever take a disciple who denied his master back and publicly denounced him. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus tells him to follow him. And in so I think he restores him. So is, is Jesus saying, Peter, let me, let me forgive you with these three questions. Do you love me? It, it's possible. And so now what about Peter? How, how do you think he felt? Having denied Christ, how do we think he felt? What would he be willing to do to make up for that? To prove himself? When... When the going got a little tough, Peter was nowhere to be found. Now the going's going to get so much tougher. What would Peter do now to prove himself, to redeem himself? He couldn't handle limited persecution before. Now, now this is the Peter that will die for Christ. The Peter that denied him before and wouldn't suffer indignity before will die for him now. And so what about us? Often, isn't it true that those who've been forgiven the most are the most grateful? It's one of the reasons I love rescue dogs, shelter dogs. Um, Pam will only get dogs from shelters because she wisely knows these dogs are grateful. Um, and I think that that's true. I think that, I think that the dog that we have is, is it just... It, Pam will never see the fact that when Pam leaves the house, it just sits on the steps and cries crying for her to come back. It'll, it'll be patient for a bit, but after it's been a couple hours, it just looks out the window longingly and starts to whimper. Um, it is grateful for that rescue. Um, what about us? Do we realize that we have been rescued, that we have been forgiven? Jesus loves us and can forgive us for anything that we've done. Now, that only matters if we recognize that sin is a problem. Too often we don't. Too often, too often we don't take sin seriously. And that's a, Jesus died for it. It's, it's not a pet peeve. It's a, it's a big deal. We are to take our sin, our separation from God, seriously. With the realization of our sin, we come to realize that God's forgiveness is a big deal. And the restoration to him is a big deal. Now, the final thing I would say that I learned from this passage. In this passage, I can see a reality to love. John... I, I, I don't think, I, because of translation techniques, and you guys know I majored in Greek and Hebrew, because of translation techniques, there are things that don't translate perfectly. 
It's just the nature of translation. Um, there are acrostics. Uh, first ver- Lamentations is an amazing acrostic. First verse begins with A. Second verse begins with C, B. Next verse begins with C in Hebrew, <laughs> which doesn't have 26 letters in its alphabet. So you just completely lose that when translating into English. So there will always be translational differences that tragically we sometimes don't get. I don't think that they make a difference on salvation, but I think they're really neat and stylistic. John does some stylistic things we might miss. John, the Gospel of John, begins with the phrase, in the beginning. (laughs) And that jumps out at us, right? Because Genesis begins with, in the beginning. Um, The first book of the Bible being Genesis, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, John wrote that. First two chapters of the Bible is man and God living in harmony, without sin, in a garden. And the last two chapters of Revelation, we end with the good news that it's man and God living in harmony in a garden city. There's a, there's a river and a tree in the, city of, in the city of God. The third chapter of Genesis is the fall of man. But the Third from the last chapter of the book of Revelation is the fall of Satan and the restoration of man. And I think John does this stuff on purpose, this, this stylistic stuff. Genesis 1, 1 in Hebrew is seven words. Revelation, the last verse of Revelation in Greek is seven words. I, I absolutely believe John does these, these style. And in fact, a lot of what we call this, it's a Hebrew style called chiasm. Um, a chiastic structure is when that which we begin with is that which we end with. Now, in American, in American English, we like our poetry to rhyme, but to the Jewish people in particular, one of the highest art forms was to get back to where you started. If you start here and you go down, get back to where you were um, in a writing style. John begins his Gospel of John with a discussion of who Jesus is. He is the Logos. He is the divine word. He sheds light on the darkness, forcing man to decide between himself and God. And throughout the book, he revisits that theme of light versus darkness and understanding versus ignorance. And that's, we see that throughout the book of John. But very slowly, he builds another theme in there, weaves it in there, and that's the theme of love, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And that theme of love, and, and the deeper you get into the book, the deeper the, the, the discussion of love gets, the more and more that we see this. John is always concerned about who Jesus is. It, it, in talking about logos, you know, in the beginning was the word, and that Hebrew word for word is logos. Um, at the end of all of our ologies, mythology, all the, all, the different, all the different words that end with that ology. It's that word logos, um, which means the word or the study of. Um, and and it was, logos was this concept that philosophers talked about. And John comes in and says, I'm going to tell you about the logos. I'm going to tell you about the word, the truth. Uh, and, and it's a very philosophical book, which is why he spends a quarter of the entire gospel at the Last Supper. Not about action scenes and miracles and healings, just what Jesus was telling his people about the love of God and what that means to us practically. Um, this book then closes in the subject of love. The divine Logos is a person who has an identity, and it's Jesus, and he loves us. 
And it's a book about the reality, the sensory perception reality that Jesus can be touched and felt. And he eats. And, and he does things that a human does. He's not, he's not, a, he's not a hologram or, or image. Or... This is a real person who lived, and, and, and John says, who we touched and talked with. And this Jesus who loved and came back from the dead, loved Peter, even after Peter betrayed him, and he restored him. Because that's what he does. His is a mission of restoration and love. And this Messiah, he was a real person with a real mission of love and a name, and the name is Jesus. And Jesus wants a, that, that same Jesus who restored Peter wants to be restored to you, wants a relationship with you. And people don't want that today, in today's world. People want community without relationships, I, are, I would argue it's the single greatest failing of, of this generation. We have Facebook and we have Twitter and we have all these other things that create a false sense of community. I saw online somebody, somebody said, when I was a kid, they said you couldn't, you know, if you wanted to talk smack about someone, you went to their house and you knocked on their door and you did it face to face. You didn't hide behind a keyboard and say whatever you, because if you said something stupid, you were going to get smacked for doing it. And now people say stupid stuff all the time and they get, get away with it and they think that they're empowered for that and they think that their opinions matter. And, and we've lost that accountability, that relationship, and that carries over into our relationship at church if we're not careful. Wonderful attendance today. Um, don't get me wrong, I want this church to grow. I would love to see standing room only. Having said that, I like 100 people because 100 people is accountability. And you can know people. And it's a nice number. And, and churches should be about knowing each other and checking on each other when we're not here and asking how we're doing and listening for a real answer. And, and I'm not against mega churches. I'm not if they're preaching the true gospel. But I do think that if you're not, megachurches only really are healthy if they've also got within those megachurches small groups of people that are accountable to each other and, and are in each other's lives because we need that. Because we need that personal relationship. We can't keep people at an arm's distance. And in, you know when, of course, now we can, we, can face, we can Zoom. Do you know when the video phone actually came out? Patch, you're, you're my trivia guy. Do you know what year? Okay, if anybody knew it, it was going to be him. 1970. They invented it in 1970, but nobody wanted it. Why? Because you can, I can answer the phone, and you don't know that I'm still in my pajamas, or worse. Um, and so nobody wanted it, because they had to get dressed up, and they had to get dolled up for, for the screen. And, only fi- and, so, and so it didn't sell, and so they abandoned it. Uh, and so only recently, because you just kind of can't avoid it, have we, have we come back with that. People want anonymity. Um, they don't want accountability. They hide behind cell phones and Facebooks. And, and, and Jesus says people stay in the dark because they don't want to come into the light because the light will expose them. Jesus came to pull us out of the dark, to pull us into the light, invite us into the light, to follow him, to have a relationship with him. Truth, but truth can sometimes hurt. How much do we love Jesus? Do we love him enough to have that relationship with him. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 243. Blessed Redeemer. Jesus' question of Peter 
is still his question for us. Do you love me more than these? All this other stuff in the world. If so, we too need to be restored to him. To have a relationship with him, an authentic relationship. Not reading a book. Not liking posts on Twitter about Jesus, or a, a real authentic relationship with Christ. And, and what I love so much about Christmas is this is when we, I mean, this is when it's on full display. And this is that time to kind of remind ourselves, in particular, why we're doing this. God came, sent Jesus to earth physically, to physically show us what it meant to follow him. If you don't have that relationship with God through his son Jesus, I want to talk, seriously, stick around after church. Let's talk. Let's talk about what, what comes next. Um, that's what I'm here for, and I would love to have that. If you have time to stick around, we'll, we'll talk. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.